Over the last four weeks, we've looked at what it takes to experience a personal revival. Uh, And literally, when I say personal revival, the image in my mind is is of, of, of the of when the furnace when that pilot light kicks on when the when the when the temperature in the thermostat calls for for heat that pilot light's burning but all of a sudden there's a there's a flood of gas in those burners and that pilot light ignites that those burners and those flames kick up and if if they're if they're right they're blue and they're hot and and that's just the picture i have when I, when i think about what our relationship with christ ought to be like it ought not be cold and hard. It ought to be red hot. Okay? Now, some of y'all are struggling with that, but I'm telling you, God loves you far more than you can you can grasp right now. And He desires a passionate relationship with us. And, and when that fire in us begins to burn, our hearts are drawn toward Him, and it goes to a new level. That's what personal revival is. And folks, when enough of us find that place... Then there's a fire created within a, a church and a community. And the next thing you know, God's poured out His Spirit on that place. And revival spreads. That's what's happened over and over and over. You can read about it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. You study it in the history. If, if you're interested in, in revival, you ought to read some of the histories of revival. It always begins with a handful of people. God does, doesn't pour out His Spirit on an area where nobody is pursuing Him. Now, God's not bound to pour out His Spirit just because we're pursuing Him. But you know what? God's drawn to us just like we're drawn to Him. And so for the last four weeks, we've just looked at a passage in Revelations, and we've talked about the church at Ephesus, and we've seen three things that if we will do these three things, we will have personal revival every time in our life. If we'll just remember how far we've fallen in our relationship with God. That didn't come out this right. If we'll remember how long we have, how far we have fallen in our relationship with God, if we'll remember what it used to be like, just take a few minutes and consider it and see if it's the same. And if it's not, then hey, you know what? We need to do something. We looked one week at repenting, and, and we, we learned that repentance is not just a 180 degree turn. It's not just being sorry for sin. It's a going back to the original. It's a return to the original. And so if we'll remember and repent, then Jesus told the church of Ephesus to do one more thing. He said, redo the things you did at once. And we talked about uh, last week about redoing what it means to do over. God gives us a second chance, a third chance, a hundredth chance sometimes. Some of us have had more chances than that. Amen? He's a God of second chances. If you do those things, I'll guarantee your relationship with Jesus Christ will burn red hot. But now the interesting thing about personal revival is history has shown that it always precedes corporate revival. And when I talk about corporate revival, I'm talking about when God pours out His Spirit in a church, in a body of people, or in a community, or in a nation. The personal always precedes the corporate. Historically, this has usually happened when desperate people living in desperate times cry out to God in desperation with all their heart. You know, it's different when you get desperate. If you don't think so, 
You go to your doctor and him give you a diagnosis you weren't expecting. I, I think about Jim and Sandy. Uh, they, they go to the doctor and the doctor uses the C word, the cancer word. All of a sudden, you know what? Your prayers go to a whole new level. Desperation. You, you lose a family member that you weren't expecting, a child, and all of a sudden you get desperate. You lose your job, and it's the only means you have for feeding your family and, and taking care of, of your bills. All of a sudden you get desperate. Folks, if, if we get desperate about wanting God's presence, God will get desperate in the sense that, that He doesn't get in a rush, okay? But God will pour out His Spirit. I believe that. Now, folks, I don't know whether you realize this or not, but our nation is in a desperate situation. And you know what? It won't matter who gets elected president. It's still going to be in a desperate situation. Our economy's in a desperate situation. The world's economy is in a desperate situation. All those things have set up a desperate situation. And God is wanting to see, I believe, if His people are desperate. But here's the thing. Not desperate because I might lose my job. Not desperate because my loved one might die because of a disease. But God, am I desperate for you? So there's a big difference. When I was a... Well, I still am. I, hadn't, I think I'm still a father. When my daughter was little, she would come in, crawl up in my lap. She'd put her little hands on my face, and she'd turn my face toward hers. And, and you know what? I'd give her anything in the world she wanted. She, she, she's, Daddy, I need this. Daddy, I need that. And you know what? I, I just do it. But as she got older, she learned that that worked. I'm helping some parents out here because you don't realize this right yet, but you will. And she'd come in there, and she'd crawl up in my lap, and she'd do all those little things. But her heart was a million miles away. You understand what I'm saying? She wanted something. And, folks, that's how we approach God very often. We're all over Him, all up in His lap when we need something. But you know what He wants? He wants us just to come sit with Him when all we want is Him. You know what? If, if you'll go after God with all your heart, just because you want Him, He'll give you everything you need. That's not part of my sermon. That's a freebie today. Okay. What I was going to say is, the kind of revival, though, that turns churches and cities and nations upside down is not something that we can do step one, step two, step three, step four, and expect to happen. My belief is that, that revival is a sovereign work of God. And by that I'm talking about corporate revival. I believe God chooses when He'll pour His Spirit out and when He won't pour His Spirit out. Now that's, God is God, okay? I believe in, in a sovereign God. And I, I believe we can do everything and we can pray and we can be desperate. But you know, God may or may not pour out His Spirit in the way that I'm talking. One of the reasons that you may be thinking to yourself, Nelson, why are you so fired up about revival? Well, I'm going to tell you this morning, okay? I'm going to give you the reason. In 1998 or 99, I was sitting in a service at Gardner First Baptist. And I was sitting back in the back under the, the 
balcony area where I always sit on the right side facing the pulpit. Okay, I'm, I'm back there kind of hit out. It was a Sunday evening, and Brother Steve was preaching. He was wearing it out. I don't have a clue what he's preaching about. I don't remember. But all of a sudden, everything just kind of went black. I was there with about a thousand people. Okay, they're everywhere. And all of a sudden, though, it's just me and God. God's, I didn't see him, okay, but I heard him. Now, some of you are getting a little wigged out. I'm just telling you, I've heard God speak before. I've heard him speak prophetically before. Now, if you don't like that, you're probably in the wrong place. But I think God still speaks to his people, okay? And, and I was sitting in that service, and, and it, this had happened before, and God had given me some words before like this, but all of a sudden it just got quiet. It's just me and God. And this is what God told me. He said, Nelson, if you'll be patient, you will see real revival. And you know what? I grabbed hold of that like it was a cup of water. And I was dying of thirst. Because I was. I wanted, and I still want to experience the presence of God in a way like I've read about. Folks, I have studied revival. I have been to some of the places where revival has come historically. I've read the biographies. I mean, I've read the New Testament. I mean, it's a, it's a picture of revival. I've even been to 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 revival in in one of the places where it was it was waning in the in the early part of of 2000. So I went to Brownsville, and uh, but I believe God promised me that I would see it. I'd be a part of it, and I have pursued that. That's one reason when I left Gardendale, I went to. Crossgates. I thought, okay, God, that's where it's going to happen at. Well, God's brought me back here, and I still believe this is where it's going to happen at, okay? So I've got a passion for it. And as I've studied it, I've realized that because it's a sovereign work, if I'm not prepared, now, my preparation doesn't bring it, okay? I want to get that clear. Your preparation doesn't bring it. But if I'm not prepared, I won't know it when it happens. Do you realize that? We can miss a movement of God. I remember when I was going to seminary, and I'm not going to get into the, all this about this particular revival, but there's a whole lot of people throwing rocks in an area where real revival was going on. Everything that was going on there wasn't God, okay? But a whole bunch of it was. And they missed it. And what God showed me is, is that He gave me an illustration. How many of you ever been sailing? Sailing. I know I'm speaking southern here. That's sail, S-A-I-L-I-N-G. Sailing. 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 I can't say it. I might have to bring an interpreter up, okay? That's the best I can do. It's got too many eyes in it. I drag my eyes. How many of you have been out on a ship with a sheet, Okay. Some of you have, okay? It doesn't bother me at all. I've endured this since I started preaching. I've been sailing. Is that better? Or sailing? Is that be, Which is better? Fast or slow? I can drag it out for you southern folks. Okay. I've been sailing twice. Once I went with my father-in-law. We sailed in the bay at Pensacola. Okay? And all of a sudden, we were, I'd never, I was, had a little bit of fear. I've got, I just got to be honest with you. When I was this uh, 11th grader, I think it was, Jaws came out. Okay? 
And I'm going to tell you something. Every time I get in the ocean, I hear the music. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay, I'm just, we, we used to go up Smith Lake and ski behind the bass boats. And during the week when we should have been in class and drop you off and they'd go turn around and come back and that water would be deathly still. And I'm in fresh water, but I'm hearing the music, okay? So y'all tracking with me. Y'all are, I, I hear, I mean, I'm a little wigged out when I get, I like the ocean. I, there's no place I love to go better, but my father-in-law was not a sailor, okay? He, he was a farmer, so we're going out in this water. Well, we're sailing along there in the bay and little old sunfish or something like that. And all of a sudden, these black dorsal fins start to pop up. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's not just one. It's thousands of them. I was terrified till we got up in them and realized it was dolphins, okay? I know y'all are laughing, but, hey, a fin is a fin, okay? The, the next time I went sailing was four of us went on a catamaran in the real ocean. And we sailed for about 30 minutes with no experience and didn't turn over. And then we made the turn, and the wind died. And for 30 minutes, we just bobbed, and I got really green and sick, okay? So both of my sailing experiences have not been good. And to be honest with you, I don't think you could pay me to go back out. But here's what I've learned about sailing. You will not move if you don't hoist the sail. If you don't pull the sail up, get it spread out, you won't move. I spent 30 minutes doing this. There was no wind. And that's that's kind of what I'm talking about when I talk about being prepared. We have to go after God individually. And we have to be prepared. We have to have our sail up so that when He does send the wind of His Spirit. So when He does pour out His Holy Spirit, when He does send revival, you know what? We catch the breeze and we begin to move with Him. What I've read in in history and what I've seen in Scripture is there's lots of boats floating out there, but not all of them had their sails up. I mean, you you can use 30-something years when Jesus was here. There were a few boats with their sails up. There were a few people who were genuinely looking for the Messiah. The rest of them were talking a good talk. And you know what? They missed him. In fact, they killed him. But there were a few whose sails were up, and and when the wind of the Spirit began to blow, they caught it. And so this morning, I just want to talk to you a little bit about how how to prepare. You can't bring revival, not corporate revival, but you can be ready for it so that when it does come. I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. To me, this is one of the most dramatic pictures in all of Scripture concerning revival. Uh, just so you'll, you'll understand a little of the background, the nation of Israel for hundreds of years had refused to obey God and God had promised judgment. He had sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And they stoned them, they killed them, they ignored them. Oh, there was a little flurry here and a little flurry there, but for the most part, they didn't listen. And one day God said, I've had enough. And he sent Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar brought the army of the Babylonians to Jerusalem. They laid siege. And when it was over, he came a couple of times. When it was over, the temple was nothing but a a pile of rubble. The city was burned. People were killed. Some of them, a few of them were taken into captivity. And the poorest of the poor were left to tend the land. And Ezekiel was one 
of, if you want to say lucky ones, he was taken to Babylon. And so that's kind of the, the situation here when the Lord appears to Ezekiel. A handful of slaves now lived in Babylon. And they were crying out. Folks, it doesn't get any more desperate than that. All the promises God had given them seemed to have gone by the wayside. They're well, they're literally hundreds of miles away from home, and they don't have any hope of return. They're desperate. How many of you realize that God is never desperate? He's never desperate. There's no situation or circumstance for God that's desperate. There's no situation or circumstance that has no hope or is impossible. I love what the angel says to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing. You know what nothing means? No thing. For nothing, no thing will be impossible for God. We serve a God who never gets desperate, who never sees anything that He cannot change. He is the God of impossibilities. God usually chooses to solve desperate situations through dedicated people. He uses people. God has chosen to partner with people. God always uses somebody to solve a situation. Now they may not be they may not lay hands on the person and, and, and pray, but God uses them. God's using people from all over this state and all over this country right now, over in Clay and Chalkwell and Center Point, to be his hands and his feet. We had some folks that went Saturday. And if you want to go, we're we're going to do it some more. We're going to serve. But that's how God works. He uses people who are dedicated. In other words, God uses people who already have their sails up when He chooses to send revival. He doesn't use the moaners and the groaners. He doesn't use the grippers and the complainers. And in this situation, in Ezekiel 37, when the nation of Israel was destroyed, God chose a young prophet named Ezekiel. And God spoke to him. I want you to look at Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 through 2. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out, of the, out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about. And behold, there were very, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And lo, they were very dry. Now there's, there's a picture. All of a sudden, God shows up to Ezekiel. This, this is probably a vision that Ezekiel had. But it's an open vision. And literally, Ezekiel is experiencing what God's showing him. It's as though he's there. And what does he see? The Bible says that, that the hand of the Lord was upon him and, and brought him out in the Spirit. That, that indicates that Ezekiel was going after God. Why do you say that, Nelson? Because God's hand was on him. God just didn't reach over into Babylon and put his hand on somebody who could care less. 
And there were plenty of Jews in Babylon who were only interested in surviving and making a dollar. But here's a young man who's going after God. And all of a sudden, God puts his hand on him. And, and in the spirit, literally, in the spirit, he's, he's lifted up. And he's taken, and all of a sudden he sees this valley. And God begins to paint a picture. He, he, his work, he begins to work, and he starts his work here in the life of one person. One person. That's all it takes is one person. He's looking. God's always looking for one person who will listen to what he's saying and then obey. So God allowed Ezekiel to see a, a visual picture of a valley, and we we read this, and and we 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 picture bones everywhere, and you know that that's what it was. There are bones everywhere, but I want you to picture a little bit how the bones got there. It's a picture of what was once an army, an exceedingly great army, and what had happened is they'd been slain, and after they were slain, they were not buried. Now, traditionally, typically. Throughout human existence, the slain on battlefields are buried. One reason is because disease comes, pestilence comes if, if those bodies are left out there. But these bodies were not buried. And what took place, and I'm not going to get too graphic here, but the wild animals came. And the wild animals ate the flesh. And the bones, they weren't just lying there, skeleton and skeleton and skeleton and skeleton. Those bones were scattered everywhere. This, this skeleton's arm bone was way over yonder, half a mile away. It was that kind of picture. And they'd been there for a long, long time. In fact, it says they were, I, I love the way the, it says it, and lo, they were very dry. They weren't just dry. They were very dry. They were bleached white. That's the picture he sees. And you know what? I, I don't know about you, but that would have been a little depressing. wouldn't? It? I mean, let's just be honest. Some of you are depressed now, and I'm not sure I'm not going to be able to get you back. But, I mean, you're having a, a hallelujah come apart worship service, and the next thing you see is a valley just covered with bones. God takes Ezekiel out there. And what he shows him is a place where desperation and depression and death all hang thick in the air. I mean, that's that, that had to have been the way Ezekiel felt. You know, sometimes we need to put ourselves in the place where these biblical characters were. Here's, and Ezekiel's not an old man. He's a young boy. He's probably uh, between 15 and 30 years of age. He's a young man. He's hundreds and hundreds of miles away from home. He is serving in the service of a pagan king, a godless nation. Everything he's ever known is gone. And the one thing he can do is worship. And what does God do? God takes him out to a battlefield. And you know what? Ezekiel had seen something like this. When he left Jerusalem, this is what it looked like. He probably watched his parents die. He'd watched his friends die. He'd watched people that, that he played with die. Their bodies probably scattered all over the rubble. And, and the last thing he saw probably was some of those bodies and the smoke from the city that he loved. And all of a sudden, God brings him to another battlefield. And, and there's desperation. 
There's depression. There's death. This picture is not just a picture of that. This is also a picture of what a person's life is like when they're not going after Christ. That may be, they may be, they may know Jesus, but they're not going after him. And that's certainly what the picture of a person's life who doesn't know Jesus is like. It's, it's that picture. Folks, without the presence of God, there's no hope and there's no life. You can go through the motions, but there's no life. And folks, this valley, and, and I'm not a prophet of doom or anything like that, but this picture is, of this valley, littered with bones, is a picture to, today of a lot of churches in this nation, and especially our country. The presence of God is not there for whatever reason. And it's dry. Or as to quote this passage, low, it's very dry. Folks, as the body of Christ, we've entered the battle. This army entered the battle with, with weapons, but they were overpowered by a greater enemy. And as the body of Christ, we've entered the battle for the most part with personalities and programs and you know what the enemy has slain us he's killed us at every turn we've not entered the battle in the power of the spirit I love what Zechariah not by my, my not by power but by my spirit saith the Lord but we've we've come to believe that if, if we've got a, enough personality in the pulpit and enough programs that work you know what? They'll come to us. And folks, you know what? The enemy loves that mindset because he slays. And he's left the church desolated. But he hasn't just desolated the church. As the church goes, so goes the nation. Now this may upset you if you're a Republican or Democrat. But our problems today are not Republican-Democrat. Our problems today are because believers have dug foxholes and they're waiting on Jesus to come back instead of being salt and light in this nation. You know why God is no longer welcome in most schools? It's not because the Supreme Court said so and so. It's because we exited the schools instead of standing up for our freedoms and our rights. We are still a nation with a constitution, whether you realize that or not. But folks, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how good the personality is. It doesn't matter what your program is. If God's not in it, it won't work. And what, what's happened is, is our nation has become, or literally, it's a moral, economic, political shambles. And what's happened is we've invited God out of most institutions and we've allowed the enemy, we've allowed Satan to fill the vacuum. We left and he came in. So this morning, we're not just looking at a valley filled with dry bones. We are those dry bones. Do you realize that? We are those dry bones. We're in a desperate situation. And we don't have any hope apart from Jesus Christ. I don't care who the next president is. I don't care who the next four presidents are. I don't care what kind of economic plan they have. 
you know what? Unless God moves, unless we realize our desperate situation, folks, we're going to continue to get drier and drier and drier. Look at verse 3 in Ezekiel. God asks them, God, how many of you realize God asks questions not to get answers? He asked Elijah. Elijah's hiding in a cave. He said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Uh, Duh, God. Uh, Jezebel's chasing me. That wasn't why God asked him that. Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes. Adam, where are you? It's not because they're playing hide and seek and, and God couldn't find Adam. He's asking a question to hear the response of our heart. Listen to the question he asks Ezekiel. And the Lord said to me, Ezekiel 37.3, Son of man, can these bones live? Now I've chosen to call this sermon not can these bones live, but will these bones live? Okay? Can these bones live? Now put yourself in his position. He's standing ankle deep in bones. They're everywhere as far as he can see. Now you say, well, he's not a 21st century man. He wouldn't know all about the medical da-da-da-da. Hey, bones are bones. Okay? Bones speak of no life. It's about as bad as it can get. He's standing in the middle of it. God says, can these bones live? What would you have told God? Now don't be religious. Don't all of you get religious on me and say, well, God is da-da-da-da-da. I mean, I'll just be straight up with you. If I'm standing there looking at all that, I'm going, it looks pretty bad here, God. Pretty bad. In fact, God, I'm not sure it can get any worse than this. Don't you listen to what Ezekiel says. And I answered, O Lord God, you know. You know. There's more to this then, oh God, you know. Ezekiel phrases it in a way that we miss very often. What what God was looking for here was, it had nothing to do with bones. It had to do with whether or not Ezekiel would be a willing partner with God. Folks, that's what God's looking for this morning, right here. He's looking for some men and some women and some boys and girls that will just be a willing partner. You know what? You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be fluent in religion ease and, and Christian ease, okay? You don't have to speak those languages. You just have to be willing to do whatever God tells you to do. Ezekiel, can these bones live? Oh Lord, you know. I mentioned a while ago God partners with people to carry out his plan. So he's looking for a willing servant. I love what Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart are completely His. God is constantly looking for people. Not people with skill sets. Not people who have reached the height of their profession. Not people who have it all together. He's looking for people whose heart is completely His. You know what? Your life can be in shambles and your heart still be all God. And he finds a young man here in the middle of a pagan kingdom 
his his life at his as he knew it was gone. If, if I mean if if Ezekiel was to give us his resume, we'd go. Mm, mm, mm. That's pretty bad. But God finds a, a willing person here. I love what Ezekiel twenty two thirty. God God gave my dad passed away in nineteen ninety seven, and God was really beginning to 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 work in my life. And all of a sudden, this verse just kind of popped off the pages of Scripture. Now, if you read Ezekiel, most people that read the book of Ezekiel, uh, in seminary, my buddies called him the schizophrenic prophet because he saw some weird things and he acted really strange. I mean, if if you've ever read the book, this man, he saw some stuff and he acted pretty strange. But Ezekiel has always spoken to me. Now, I don't know what that makes me. That may put me in a strange place, okay? But, But this verse jumped off the page at me. And I'm only going to, I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read the first part of it because it's become one of my two life verses. Ezekiel 22.30, God says, And I searched for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. If you read the passage, Father, God says this, But I found no one. And God destroyed the nation of Israel. Folks, I, I, I determined in 1997 that if God would allow me I was going to stand in the gap build up the wall and pray for the land pray for the people it's just it's a part of my calling God was searching in this situation when he takes Ezekiel out to this place he's searching for a man or a woman who believed his promises no matter what his eyes saw no matter what his experience, no matter what his education said, or his rational mind thought. I mean, put yourself in this young man's position. It's easy to mouth words, oh God, only you know, but in your mind it's racing. There ain't no way. These are bones, God. But that's not, that's not what took place with Ezekiel. Ezekiel had faith. According to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance. And assurance is substance. It's something that, that you can kind of take hold of. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the conviction, literally the word conviction means evidence of things not seen. You see, Ezekiel saw that valley. He didn't know how, but he knew if God wanted to, God could make something happen in that valley. I love what Hebrews 11, 6, A part says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Ezekiel's answer to God's question reveals a, a, a lot deeper faith than we give Ezekiel credit for. He says, O oh Lord God, you know. Kind of break that down. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here this morning. But he responds with a specific name for God. O Lord, that's the word Adonai. Whenever the, the Jews translated Yahweh, they wouldn't write it and they wouldn't say it. They typically used Adonai to substitute it. They, 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 the name of God was so holy that they wouldn't even speak it or write it. He says, O Adonai. But then he, they translated God, but literally... It's Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, Yahweh. You know. And when, when Ezekiel used that name, what he was saying is, 
Oh God, you are the covenant-keeping God of Israel who promised my grand, my father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you would give this people this land. Yahweh, I believe that you are still a covenant-keeping God, and no matter what happens, you will do what you said you would you would do. Now, he says that it took me about fifty words. But Ezekiel says it like this, O Lord God, you know. And he responds to God with a statement of faith. O God, even though my eyes tell me one thing, my mind says something else, I trust you. I trust you. So God kind of ups the ante, okay? God kind of takes it to another level. He takes that declaration of faith that Ezekiel's given, and he and he, he now he asks for one more thing. Look at Ezekiel thirty-seven, and we'll read verse three through six. And he said to me, "Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones: Behold, I will cause spirit to enter you, that you may come to life, and I will put sinew back on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put." breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord now what God said is can these bones live it's easy to say yes God you can do it but now God's taking it to a different level he said okay Ezekiel I want you to partner with me I want you to partner with me the situation in this valley is desperate but now he's got a willing servant so what happens here is the test of obedience. And it always comes. You get a willing servant, and then God gives you a test. And here's the deal. He wants you to put up or shut up. I mean, too many of us talk a good talk. But we don't walk the walk that He's called us to. And folks, for God to pour out revival, we're going to have to start walking the walk. Talk's cheap. It's put up or shut up time. In every revival, every revival that I have ever read about, there has come a moment of truth. A moment when the result or the outcome can go either way. Either it can, it can just catch on fire and spread, or it can die like a match being extinguished. There, there's a moment of truth. It's easy to say, God, I'll do whatever you say. But it's entirely different to act on. And you know what? Sometimes God will ask you to do something that common sense and the crowd and years of, of education may completely oppose. Did God ever ask you to do something like that? There's a lot of you in here that He has. He will ask that. That's what James means, folks. In, in James chapter 2, verse 26, faith without works is dead. Don't tell me how much you believe. And you won't walk outside and, and help somebody that, that, that's cars broke down or your neighbor that's going through this or, or you meet somebody. Don't tell me how much faith you have if you're unwilling to do things God asks us to do. Jesus put it this way. This is one of my favorite verses. This one just always gets me. Jesus said this in John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Translated so I can understand it. If you love me, you'll do what I say. You'll do what I say. Real revival comes, folks, when we obey God, when we step out in faith and we ask 
act on what he tells us to do. Now, what God tells Ezekiel to do is to prophesy. This is what it means to prophesy. The word means to listen to what I say and repeat it. In other words, say what I have said to you. That may be to a group of people. In this instance, it's a valley filled with bombs. God says, Ezekiel, I will speak and you speak for me. You say exactly what I have spoken. He didn't ask Ezekiel to do anything else. He didn't ask Ezekiel to go through that valley of bones and gather all the bones up and get them in one place. He didn't ask him to, 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 to call in a special team so they could figure out which bone went where. No, he says, Ezekiel, I'm going to tell you something and you speak it. Everything, every act, every result is up to God, not to Ezekiel. And folks, whether you realize it or not, it's, it hasn't changed any. God has given us the responsibility to speak what he is, he is saying. If we will speak what He is saying when He tells us to say it, the rest He will do. God never called any of us to be miracle workers. You, you realize that, don't you? He didn't call any of us to be healers. He didn't call any of us to do this or that. He called us to obey Him, and when we obey Him, He works. He uses the gift that He's given us, or He gives us the gift we need in that situation. I've seen God do that. I've seen God use... I'll never forget Him using a little old man. didn't have a third grade education to minister to somebody who had all the education education can get. But in a moment, God gave him something. He gave it to that man. It changed his life. Folks, that's what God is asking Ezekiel to do. And that's what He's looking today for us to do. is just to act. When He speaks, we speak. When He doesn't speak, guess what? We do what the church has been able to, unable to do for centuries. We stay quiet. I mean, that's what preachers do when they don't know what to do. They talk. Amen? Y'all sat in services. I have too, and I've, sad to say, when I didn't know what to do, I just talked. He told Ezekiel to prophesy. Just like I said, every act, everything except the prophesying is up to God. How do I know this? Because later, if you continue to read this passage in verse 6, you'll see, and you will know that I am the Lord. When you do what I have told you to do, I will act, and you will know. There won't be any doubt anymore, Ezekiel. You'll know I'm God. So Ezekiel obeyed. He just took a stand right out there. Now, picture this. He's by himself. There's nobody else out there. There's no crowd of people with him. He's standing out there. It's just him and God and bones. And he takes a stand on that hillside. Listen to what he says in verse 7. He says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied. What happened? God moved. The sovereign Lord of the universe began to pour life out into that valley of desperation and death. But you know what? It did not occur until Ezekiel obeyed. One of the most important words in this whole passage is the little word, as. And as I prophesied, God began to work. 
So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. Literally, what the Hebrew means there is the voice of God thundered. That's literally what that means. Ezekiel spoke, but you know what the bones? They didn't hear Ezekiel. They heard the voice of God. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. They didn't just assemble bones to go to where bones are supposed to go. Every bone went back to the bone it was supposed to be connected to, to the individual who had it, who was born with it. Every bone went back there. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. As Ezekiel spoke, God spoke. God's voice thundered, and the bones scattered across the valley and began to reunite. I mean, I, I just get this picture, and, and it, it's just, I mean, there's bones going everywhere. Y'all, y'all got to get with me here, okay? Can you see it? I mean, they're, they're coming from everywhere. Knee bone to the thigh bone. is a song, but I'm not going to sing it, okay? Sinew started to grow, muscles. I mean, this is like watching Raiders of the Lost Ark when they peer into the box in reverse, Okay? All of a sudden, these, these bones just, I mean, muscle. I mean, you're, you're watching an army form here. But all, all of a sudden, it stops. Ezekiel, you know why? Because Ezekiel stopped. He stopped prophesying, and he started staring. Well, let's don't judge him, because I think that's probably what every one of us... I mean, he believed God. How many of you have honestly seen God work? in some situation. Were you not amazed? I've seen him work over and over and over, and every time I see it, I'm like a little kid. It's not that I don't believe he's going to work. It's just, just, and I think that's what Ezekiel did. I think he was amazed. I mean, you would have been if the sky filled up with bones, okay? And and they started to stand up. And he stops. He's totally amazed in what he's seeing. And folks, this happens almost every time in revival, historically speaking. They get stuck at a place. God pours out His Spirit, things begin to happen, and, okay, we can't do this. That's not, that's not of God. Well, who said it's not of God? Well, it's not in the Word of God. Do y'all realize that everything God's done is not contained in His Word? If it were, I couldn't carry the book in here this morning. This place couldn't hold it. Now, Things that are not of God are not of God, okay? But there are a lot of things that make me uncomfortable that are of God. Nothing wrong with it. But what's happened in history is all of a sudden some of that stuff would start to take place and they'd freeze up and they'd stop and they'd quit acting on what God had told them to do. Folks, people are amazed when God moves. And then what happens is we get caught up in the side issues. What kind of music are we going to play? Who's going to preach? Are we going to have an invitation? Or are we not going to have an invitation? All of a sudden, there's manifestations and miracles taking place. Rather than what's most important, and that's a return to God. So y'all, the, the, the power of God wows us rather than the presence of God. Folks, we need the presence of God and let God do the power stuff. Okay, y'all still with me? I could preach forever right here, but I'm not going to. So Ezekiel's standing there like this. 
And God kind of reaches out his hand, takes him by the shoulder, and goes, How do I know that? Look at verse 9 and 10. Then he said to me, Then God said to me, Prophesy to the breath. And I believe what he's saying is prophesy to the spirit. It's, it's the same word. It can breath, spirit, air. It's ruach. Prophesy to the spirit. Speak to the spirit of God. I love this title. Son of man. Son of man. See, Ezekiel's not some superhero. He's just like us. We're sons and daughters of man. We're, we're, we're the clay pots of Adam. Prophesy to the Spirit. Prophesy, Son of Man, and say to the breath. God tells him to prophesy twice. Say to the Spirit, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, come from every direction, O breath, O Spirit, and breathe on these slain that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the Spirit came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. I heard one clap there. Man, this excites me. God says, do what I tell you. And so Ezekiel does it. And what happens? These these corpses that are standing there with with new muscle, new tissue, and everything they need, skin, all of a sudden come to life. You know the difference between real revival and a series of meetings or services that are designed to manipulate your emotion with fervent sermons and rousing music? You know the difference? The difference is the presence of God. The Spirit of God. Folks, you can, and, and I don't say this, and I have no one in mind, so just I, I am a preacher, okay? But you can manipulate people. You can when you when you begin to talk about spiritual things, it's life and death issues, and if you're not careful, you you can manipulate them to do things. You can you can set an, an atmosphere with music if you're not careful. That, that's ripe for manipulation. And folks, God is not in that. And I'm telling you as your pastor, I'm not going to do those things. And I know Jim's not going to do those things. I want the real presence of God. I don't want something that, that kind of looks like God and sort of tastes like God. I want God. I want the real thing. And so what happens in, in most, most revivals is, or most things that are called revival, is that we got excited, we had those Holy Ghost goosebumps, we felt really good, we rushed to the altar because we, we, we realized we were all dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. And then we left, and you know what? There was no change. I just went back to being the dirty, rotten, stinking sinner I was before I got excited. Folks, that's not revival. When revival touches you, you are changed. You are never the same. 
I'll guarantee you, this kid in the wilderness, you know why, you know why he could lay naked on one side for a year and then roll over and lay naked on the other side for a year, years later when God told him to do that? Cause he had seen bones rise up out of the dirt. He had seen them fly together. He had seen them put on muscle and sinew and, and, and skin and he had seen the voice of God speak the breath into them and they had come alive. You can do most anything if you see some of that stuff. That's the difference in a lot of the garbage that we hear about today. Oh, there's, there's all kind of sideshow freak attractions that you can see this and you can see that, but is the presence of God there? And folks, the presence of God was in this valley. Historically, when the Spirit of God comes, confession and repentance sweep through churches, through cities, and through nations. All that other stuff comes too. Okay, there there are manifestations of revival, and you can study the history of revival and and falling out under the power of God is not something new. It's not just a Pentecostal thing. It's happened in and it even happened to the Scottish Presbyterians in the 16th and 17th century. Okay, so that stuff's not new. Healings came, but folks, if that stuff comes without confession and repentance, it ain't revival. All right. Repentance always comes in real revival. There's one manifestation that's always evident. It's it's in every revival that's ever taken place. It's repentance. The people of God come back to God. That's what the word revival means. Listen to the words of Ezekiel 37, verse 14, and we're, we're done. God says this. He, he says this to Ezekiel. He's, he's not just talking now about this, this vision that he's given Ezekiel. He's making a promise to Ezekiel's people. And folks, I think by extension we can take this promise as well. God says, And I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land, and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Folks, when real revival comes... When it sits down in a church, there, there's no wondering if God showed up. You ever left a service and wondered, okay, was that God? I have. I have. When the presence of God really comes, there's no question. That was God. That was God. We can be desperate. We can be willing. We can be obedient. But unless God pours out revival, it won't come. Personal revival is essential, though. You know what? If, if, if you're not passionate and you're not in love with Jesus, guess what? You won't know revival when it does come. You'll be one of the ones that go, ah, that's not of God. I don't find that in here. Well, they, they shouldn't sing that music. Those services last too long. Why in the world are they going to church every night of the week? What's, what's the deal? Those people, they're fanatics. I practice my faith. I just show people I love Jesus. I don't say anything. I know I need to stop because I'm going to say something that offends somebody here. But, folks, personal revival is essential. And every one of us can live in personal revival. But sovereign revival is, a, is an act of God. 
But you know what? If I don't have my sails up, I don't have them trimmed, and I don't have the, the I don't know all the sailor talk, okay? If I don't have the ropes tied in the right places, and it's not pointed in the right direction when the wind comes, when the spirit blows, I'm not going to catch it, and I will miss it. And you know what? I don't have a lot of years left in this life. I've probably lived and I've probably lived over half of mine. So I'm gonna make sure, as best I'm able, my sails are gonna be up, they're gonna be trimmed, and they're gonna be pointed toward where God tells me to point them because I want to see real revival. Because folks, if we don't have our sails up, we'll miss the next move of God. And if we miss it, our churches, our communities, our nation will never experience the abundance that Jesus died to give us. So the question today is not can these bones live? The question is will these bones live? Let's pray.